Before I begin today, I have to keep a promise I made earlier this week. Um, we had a visitor drop by the office. Um, my, Bernice was already gone. I think it was Thursday afternoon. I didn't know this person, but apparently she knows a number of you. And uh, she said, please give my greetings to the folks here. And so I, I, I'm going to keep that promise, and I'm going to bring greetings to you from Wanda Rapp. Paul is now her last name. So she wanted everybody to, to know that she dropped by and to say hello. So I did it. <laughs> uh, how many of you have heard of foam block construction? Yeah, good. Um, I'm, I'm going to read to you uh, 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 an excerpt from an article that was one of, in one of our Nazarene publications um, and it re- refers specifically to extreme Nazarene in Peru. Uh, that's where our kids spent some time. And some things they're doing with foam block construction. It reads this way. Extreme Nazarene Mission Director Brian Tibbs and engineer missionaries Dennis Linnell, Mike Drinkwater, and Mike Wheatley first approached NNU's engineering department in the fall of 2010 to ask for faculty and students to help in solving an urgent mission problem. Thank you. Thirty recently planted church fellowships across the country of Peru had been identified as being ready to build church buildings. That's pretty exciting. However, the local cinder block and clay brick construction methods were not strong enough, especially in earthquakes, and required... required masonry skills that were not always available. What Extreme wanted was strong, lightweight blocks that could be produced right on the church construction site by local unskilled labor, even in the absence of reliable electric power. They wanted a mobile, generated generator-powered block factory on a truck to make building blocks that could be snapped together, similar to Legos, to build churches and homes without mortar or masonry skills. So they went to NNU, which was the right place to go. (laughs) No prejudice there, is there? Extreme's original plan was to build the Peru churches using large polystyrene blocks called fast blocks. Starting in summer 2011, the first three foam block churches were built in Arequipa, Puerto Maldonado, and Puno. These large styrofoam fast blocks were stacked by short-term missionary teams to form walls and then reinforced internally with concrete and rebar to build strong, well-insulated structures. The exterior walls were then stuccoed inside and out and covered with trusses and a roof. However... Importing these styrofoam blocks to Peru and then shipping them around the country became expensive and infeasible as a long-term plan. The NNU team was challenged to design, build, and deliver to Peru in summer 2012 a portable block molding plant using two-part polyurethane instead of polystyrene styrofoam that can be injected into aluminum molds from compact storage drums. 
The wet foam then expands 20 times its original volume and cures in 20 minutes, producing all the blocks needed to build a small church building for 100 people from two 55-gallon drums. And then it went on to say, a short-term work and witness team came and in two weeks put up a proper chapel for the community using foam blocks, a development in construction that all allows an unskilled team to build a solid, inexpensive building in a record time. Wow. I mean, I know some of these work and witness projects I've been on take months and months to complete. And here's a church building that would hold 100 people that was completed in two weeks' time, used two weeks time using foam block construction. Now... Extreme Nazarene discovered a new way of doing construction. It turned out to be very advantageous in the ability to provide a church building for a minimal cost and a minimal amount of time using unskilled labor. But what if the attitude of extreme had been this? Well, they've always used cement and clay blocks and concrete for church buildings in Peru. They've always done it that way and we aren't going to change now. There would have been 30 churches that needed to be, be built that might never have been built. We don't know. Well, in the passage of Scripture that we read today, and especially in the calling of Matthew and then the portion that follows that, Jesus was challenging old ways of, of thinking and established religious norms. He was challenging those things. He, by example, was exposing the Pharisees to a new way. And we may need to discover a new way as well. So, first of all, we need to discover a new path. When we follow Jesus, we must leave our plans for His. The writer of the preacher's commentary says this about the calling of Levi slash Matthew. I have a special appreciation for Levi who became Matthew because he paid such a high price to follow Jesus. The fishermen who became disciples were middle class businessmen. If this new venture ended in failure, they could always go back to fishing. Levi, Matthew, was a wealthy tax collector. You could not give up collecting for the Romans and expect to return to work if things didn't work out. He cut his ties. He gave up his wealth and privilege and position to follow Jesus. His plans changed. Matthew faced a radical change in life. Now, I don't know what his plans for the future were, but I know this, they were changed drastically the moment he decided to follow Jesus. And I hadn't really thought of this before, but when Dean was reading the passage this morning, you know, Jesus comes and says to Matthew, follow me. And he says he got up and he left everything and he followed Jesus. Wow! Who makes decisions that quickly? Now here's what I think was happening. Because it looks like, you know, bing, bing. I think that... that he was making this incredible life change decision in, in a second's time. I don't think that's what really... I think God was working way ahead in Matthew's heart. We need to remember that God's way ahead of us. When God calls us to go to somebody, God's at work there already. 
And that's what was happening in the life of Matthew, who made this decision to follow Jesus and he left everything behind. His, I think his plans for his life changed drastically that day. Um, I read this uh, thing called Lethal Linebackers. I, I kind of mean, I mean the college football. This was, a, this was a, a, an article uh, published by Boise State University on their most the most successful linebackers in their program. One of the names is a name I'm going to mention to you today and I think you might recognize. Bob Skinner, 1980 through 1982, was an all-Big Sky pick. Skinner was a force all three years at Boise State when the team's record was 28-9 with a national championship in 1980 and a semifinal appearance in 1981. And then this little bio that I got from the Nazarene's website. Bob was born and raised in Oregon. He played college football while earning a degree in psychology at Boise State University in Boise, Idaho in 1982. Prior to his senior year in the university, he came to understand Romans 10 and answered yes to God about being willing to be sent. He attended Northwest Nazarene College in Nampa, Idaho and Asia Pacific Nazarene Theological Seminary in the Philippines in 1990. He received an MDiv, a Master's of Divinity and Missiology from Nazarene Theological Seminary. Bob and his wife Colleen have served as missionaries in the Philippines and Ukraine and in 2013 were appointed to serve the Nazarene work in Hungary and Poland. They currently live in Budapest, Hungary. Why did I read to you about Bob Skinner? Bob was an outstanding football player and had a chance to go pro. But when the draft came up, he wasn't even interested. You know why? God had changed his plans. And he served God faithfully in all these years since he graduated from Boise State University. Remember Rhonda Slingerland when she came and spoke? Remember her testimony? She gave up a career as a high-dollar attorney to follow Jesus and spend her life on the mission field. Rhonda is the Mid-America Region Regional Coordinator of Finances. She oversees all finances for 72 districts, six field offices, and a regional office. So those were people who had a path set for their lives and when Jesus called them, that path changed drastically. Now, following Jesus may not lead to a change in your life as radical as what Bob Skinner and Rhonda Singerland experienced. But it may lead to a change in how you spend your money or what you do with your free time or how you spend your next vacation, or what ministries you choose to be involved in, or what people that you choose to make connections with. If we choose to follow Jesus, we need to follow His plan for our lives. The next thing we need to discover is new connections. Following Jesus leads to new relationships and welcoming the other as Jesus welcomed us. 
Verses 29 and 30. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, to Jesus' disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Following Jesus leads to new relationships and welcome the others just as Jesus welcomed us. Jesus had this unwelcome and distasteful habit of building relationships with undesirables. I mean, he touched lepers and demon-possessed people and loose women and Samaritans. And the list could go on. Jesus went home with Matthew that day and celebrated Matthew's change in careers by sharing a banquet with him. And many of his tax collector friends and other sinners were there as well. So Jesus was hanging out in the home of a tax collector with a whole crowd of undesirable folks. And you know what? Matthew wasn't the only tax collector Jesus hung out with. Remember the story of Zacchaeus? And, and Jesus said to Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house today. So he went home with him. And if Jesus was staying with Zacchaeus, he was also eating with him. Now what's significant about that? Because Jesus went home with Matthew and ate with him and his friends. And he went home with Zacchaeus and ate with him. What's the big deal? Well, first of all, um, if... The Pharisees and teachers of the law were upset because uh, to share a meal with someone in the Jewish culture was a really significant act. You didn't just sit down and eat with anyone. To eat with someone meant you accepted them. You accepted them fully. To eat with someone was to say, I have no reservations about you. We are friends. And here's Jesus eating with tax collectors and other sinners. That we say other sinners because tax collectors were certainly considered to be sinners. Let me tell you Dave's story. Dave was a member of our congregation on the coast. He grew up in a pastor's home. He'd attended church all of his life. And I would not be truthful, I didn't tell you, he slept through most of my sermons. On the front row. He said, well, actually, it would have been right over here from me. And his wife, you know, she tried to help him stay awake. Um, his wife was involved in the Celebrate Recovery Ministry at the church, but Dave wasn't interested. He wasn't enthused about hanging out with that kind of people. One night, Dave's wife talked him into coming into coming to just to visit and see what was going on at Celebrate Recovery. After the meeting was over, Dave was headed home. And as he left the building, he stopped to talk to a group of men who were smoking outside. We kept those receptacles out there that they could put their cigarette butts in. So they were hanging around after the meeting, smoking outside the building. And Dave's kind of an outgoing guy, so he just stopped and engaged them in conversation. And he learned their names and a little bit about their lives and why they were there. And you know what? That conversation changed Dave's life. God spoke to him in that moment. 
he began talking to Dave about his attitude and, his, and infused his heart with a love for those men and others that were attending the Celebrate Recovery Ministry. Over time, Dave became more and invo- more involved with CR, and today he's the director of recovery ministries at that church. I saw Dave at General Assembly last summer, and he told me that he's working on a master's degree in counseling so that he is better equipped to meet the needs of those he is ministering to. By the way, not only did Dave develop new connections, Jesus changed his plans. Oh, and guess what? Guess who Dave spends much of his time with now? The others. Remember this song, Jesus, what a friend for sinners, Jesus, lover of my soul. Friends may fail me, foes assail me, he my Savior makes me whole. Hallelujah, what a Savior, hallelujah, what a friend, saving, helping, keeping, loving, He is with me to the end. Are we willing to be a friend to sinners? Jesus was. Do we welcome the other like Jesus welcomed us? And by the way, it's pretty difficult to lead someone to Jesus without developing a connection with that person. Well, we also need to discover a new purpose. Verses 31 And 32, Jesus answered them, the Pharisees, the critical guys, the guys who were unhappy because he was hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. Jesus answered them, is it not the healthy who need a doctor? Excuse me. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's who I should be hanging out with. Jesus' mission is our mission both individually and corporately. The attitude of the Pharisees and teachers of the law was that church was for good people. They thought that God only loved good people. Good people. Jesus said in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. And we read... Luke 19.10 and verses 31 and 32 of our text today. And we nod in agreement. Yes. Yes, that's why Jesus came. And His mission is our mission. But is it really? What are we doing about it? How willing are we to connect with the lost, the sick, the sinner? Because that's how they're described in these passages. You know, I would be the first to admit that it's much more comfortable to spend time with good people. You know, the righteous. And we need to do that. We need the fellowship of believers. But if they are the only people that we have a relationship with and spend time with, how can we say that we are fulfilling the mission Jesus has given us? And so we need a new willingness. We need to discover a new willingness. God has something more for us, but we must be stretched to receive it. Ooh, I don't like that part. What are we willing to do to see lives transformed? 
What are we willing to do to reach lost people that live right here in our neighborhood? Are we willing to do some things we've never done before? You know, we, we live in a very different culture than the majority of us here today grew up in. We're, I can, a lot of us tend to look around and say, what happened? Certainly, we need to be faithful to the truth of Scripture and the presentation of the Gospel. There's no doubt about that. We have to be uncom- uncompromising in that regard. But the me- methods we use have to change. What worked in the 60s, 70s, or 90s, or even 10 years ago may not work today. Are we willing to be stretched and try something new? Think about this. What if doctors refuse to accept modern medicines and medical practices and procedures? If if you went in to see your doctor and he told you this, I have not seen any developments in the field of medicine since 1950 that I think are beneficial. How likely would you be to go back to that doctor? Think of the many ways Jesus stretched the disciples' ways of thinking and attitudes toward people. I was thinking about there's a couple of times in Scripture, once in Luke and once in John, where the, the, the disciples are fishing and Jesus tells them to do something a little different. Now, you've got to think, these guys are fishermen. That's how they've spent their lives. And this guy, Jesus, says, here's what you do to catch fish. Excuse me, Jesus? You know, you can talk about preaching and teaching, but hey, I'm the fisherman. One time he says, go to deeper water and throw your net. The other time he said, throw your net on the other side of the boat. (laughs) Okay, we'll humor you. What happened? In both cases, these incredible catches of fish. What was happening here? Well, first of all, Jesus was changing their thinking about who he was. And he was also training them to be obedient to what he told them to do. And look how it paid off. Crossing the lake in the storm. Um, Remember now that even though these guys were fishermen, they probably weren't swimmers. It just wasn't something they did. And beyond that, they thought, you know, the evil spirits lived in the depths of the waters. So here they are crossing the the lake in the storm and... uh, I guess storms come up quickly on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is sleeping in the boat. We're about to die. And Jesus said, before they ever got started, let's go to the other side. Get that? Let's go to the other side. Do you think they would not make it to the other side if Jesus said, let's go to the other side? But they wake him up and he says, peace be still. And the wind and the waves all settled down. They obeyed him. And and what happened? They changed their thinking about the power of Jesus. Who is this that controls even the wind and the waves? Boy, he was stretching them, wasn't he? Then... 
There was another time when they crossed the lake to this place called, sometimes you see it called the Gadarenes or the Gergesenes, but the point is, there was this crazy man. He lived in the tombs. He was naked. He screamed and yelled, and he couldn't be held even with chains. He was full of demons. That's a bit of a problem for the disciples, because first of all, this is Gentile territory, and here's this man who's completely out of their mind, out of his mind. They want to have nothing to do with this place or this, this guy. And Jesus comes and he rebukes the demons and he sends them into a herd of pigs and the pigs run down and jump over a cliff and into the lake and they all drown and the, and the townspeople come out and they don't want Jesus there anymore because he's cost them, you know, uh, by the way, the Jews, the, his Jewish disciples didn't care that the demons went into the pigs and drowned themselves because pork was forbidden. But for the Gentiles, that was a bigger problem. This was economy here. And Jesus said, cost them money. They wanted him out of there. But the point is this. Jesus showed them that he had power over spirits. And he showed them that he could use anybody he wanted to because he sent this man back to missionize the Decapolis, the ten cities. Boy, was Jesus stretching these good Jewish boys. Who gets into heaven? Remember the rich young ruler that came to Jesus and, and, and he said, what do I need to, be, need to do to be saved? And Jesus said, well, uh, you know, kind of tell me, Paraphrasing, what have you done? Why, you know, have you kept the law? He says, I've kept it all since I was a kid. And Jesus said, you just need to do one more thing. Sell all you have, give to the poor and follow me. What? And he walked away sad. And the disciples are blown away. Wait a minute. If a rich man can't get into heaven, who can? You know why they said that? They thought that, that wealth indicated God's blessing on someone's life. And a, a guy who's experienced God's blessing can't get into heaven? Who can? So Jesus was stretching them. He was changing their minds about this whole thing. It's not about rich or poor. It's not about what you have and don't have. It's about your relationship with me, with Jesus then his teaching on forgiveness. You know, Jesus, if my brother offends me, do I forgive him seven times? What Jesus say? Seventy times seven. What? That's a four hundred and ninety, something like that. But you know what? Jesus wasn't saying forgiven that many times. He was saying forgive them as often as they need to be forgiven. How about servanthood? The greatest among you is the one who serves. Oh, wait a minute. The masters are the... No, 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 Jesus. You've got it all wrong. No, the, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. The greatest among you is the one who serves. Well, how about love? Love those who love you. That's kind of how we... You know, that's it's kind of the thing. Especially the Pharisees kind of felt that way. Love your neighbor as yourself. What? Well, who's my neighbor? We'll get you on that one. Well, there are anybody who's, it's anyone who's in need. It's not just the guy next door. Jesus 
was stretching their old ways of thinking and doing things. Those things that might have been more comfortable for them. Maybe even some of those old ways seem to make more sense. But Jesus was trying to show them a new way. And they had to be, there had to be a willingness in their hearts to change their, their, their attitude, their thinking, and their way of doing things. And you know what? Jesus is still in the business of stretching us. The question is, are we willing to be stretched? Are we willing to change? Are we willing to do that? So in this, in, in, in this passage today, uh, as, as he dealt with, with Matthew and the Pharisees and then the questions about the old and new wine and the, and the patch. And by the way, at the, at the last, the last verse says, and no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for he says the old is better. Do you know what Jesus is talking about? He's talking about the old way of doing things. We like that better. That tastes better to us. By the way, the new wine does become old wine at some point. Right? New wine becomes old wine at some point. Are we willing? Are we willing to be stretched? Are we willing to be stretched for the sake of people who need Jesus? Are we willing to be stretched for the sake of neighbors that we need to impact for Jesus in the kingdom? So, have you discovered something new today? As we let God stretch us into what I hope will be a new season as a church, I would invite you to pray and ask, Jesus, how do you want to use me? And if that means stretching, then I'll be stretched. And I'm excited to see how God will stretch us so we can say together, we will go be the church. Pray with me. Father, I think sometimes uh, we wish following Jesus was a little easier. I mean, it'd be nice if it was just a comfortable thing to do all the time. And, you know, there's some times when we like new things and others when we just don't want to go there. And yet, just Jesus, the way you interacted with people, you 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 connected with people that the church, the religious establishment of that day wanted nothing to do with, and you made it very clear that that's why you came. And I don't know specifically who that is for us, but may we be willing, like you were, Jesus to go to those who are lost, who are sick, who are bound by sin. And if it takes some new things to happen in our lives, some things we need to discover, then Lord God, help us to be willing to embrace the new. Whatever that may be for us, whether it's the connections we make with people or 
a, a new purpose you give our lives or a new plan that you've laid out for us or a new willingness to be stretched and changed to be, in order to be obedient and serve you obediently in every way, but especially as you call us to touch people with the love of Jesus. Father, may we as a church live out what it truly means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, just like Matthew who began that journey on that day. And as we do, we pray then, Lord God, that we will see your supernatural power at work to change hearts, transform lives, empower and embolden us, raise our evangelistic temperature, ingrain in us a new urgency for prayer and a desire to serve you in whatever way you call us to do so. And Father, as we do that, we believe then that there will be a harvest that comes, not for the sake of numbers on a page, but for the sake of lives changed for eternity. And Father, I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for being here today. Um, I will go ahead and dismiss you at this time. And uh, just give a chance for those who want to leave to do so. We will be having our annual meeting in just a few moments. We'll pass out. uh, There's uh, report booklets right there available at the back right now. If you want to grab one of those, come back in and have a seat. And we will get this going in just a few moments.